Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, game night tonight. Game six, NBA Finals. And I was uh, watching old TV. One of the debate shows was on yesterday, and they were working over the topic, who has more pressure on them in game six. It's the Bucks. For the life of me, I don't get it. You get to game six, the pressure's enormous. If you're Milwaukee, this is your best chance to win an NBA title. You've been chasing it for years. This group for three solid years. Uh, some Bucks fans for 50 years. This is an awesome opportunity. You've got a home game to win the NBA title. And if you mess it up, you got to go play a game seven on the road. And yes, visiting teams win on the road, but not very often. Less than 20% of the time. So you want no part of a game seven. You might get it. You might. But you don't want any part of it. You want to wrap it up at home, in front of your fans, done deal. You've won three in a row. you got the momentum. There's enormous pressure on the Bucks, And for the Suns, <laughs> you're so close to an NBA title, and if you lose this game, you don't get it. That's pressure. The people's there's no pressure on the Suns. Yeah, it is. Their season ends if they lose this. That's pressure. What? I don't get it. I, I think when you get to this point in the series, there's enormous pressure everywhere. Who can ignore it and perform, or who uses it to power them uh, to heights. Because some people look at pressure and say, it's opportunity. I mean, yes, I guess it's pressure because if you fail and then you miss your chance, and, well, right, but it's opportunity. So if you perform, it's going to be awesome. I don't I don't think Jordan and Brady and Tiger in his prime and whatever other champ you want to throw out there thought, oh, no, there's pressure. It's like, there's opportunity. Let's go perform. Get it done. This is what I was born to do. Saw a stat on Giannis Antetokounmpo. This is awesome. He's shot over 50% from the floor now in 13 straight playoff games. Shooting a lot of layups and a lot of dunks. I get that. But, man, you you know where your shot is. And he's averaging 32.5 points. So you're scoring that many points, and you're scoring them really efficiently. you got to love that. Can he keep it up? Can he do it one more time? Can Booker, can the Suns just outscore the Bucks? You know, I, I tend to think of 110 as it used to be 100, but higher scoring area. 110 is a winning number. If you don't get to 110, your odds of winning aren't great. If you get over 110, your odds of winning start going way up. But maybe Booker can go out there and shoot Phoenix to a 125-120 win. You know, playing the percentages and playing the odds and all that stuff, the smaller the sample size, the less that matter, matters. It gets down to what Monty Williams was talking about. Get it done. If you do it in a low percentage way, you know, a way that isn't going to pan out, who cares? Who cares? That kind of stuff, forming good habits, is for early in the season. It carries you through a season. It doesn't matter if it's a 12-game football season or a 82-game uh, basketball season, whatever. But when you get right down to the end, the last yard, the last bucket, just get it. <laughs> just, just get it. All right, so we got that game tonight. Uh, some of the other sports news uh, of the day. I don't know if you saw the NFL news. Any, uh, we're getting close to football. So any nugget of news from college football or from pro football is welcome because it's America's most popular sport, and it's what people um, really want to watch, and they can't wait for the fall, and certainly as hot as it's been. It'll be great to have it cool off a little bit here in Utah in the fall. Um, and, and America gets its favorite sport back. So uh, ESPN announces that Peyton Manning and Eli Manning are going to uh, be on an ESPN2 alternate broadcast of Monday Night Football for 10 games. Not every week. I guess somebody doesn't want that kind of commitment, wants some downtime, holidays off, all that kind of stuff, I guess. Uh, 
but they're going to have 10 games. And this is, it's, it's kind of surprising this hasn't happened earlier. It's going to look a little like the megacast that we see during the big college football playoff games. Uh, they're going to have the main telecast, the traditional one with Steve Levy and the whole crew on ESPN. And then there'll be some hosts, we don't know who, and then the two Manning brothers, the what four-time Super Bowl champs between them, because they both won a couple of Super Bowls, uh, will be joined by other former players. And uh, we'll have some type of alternate broadcast. Now, the work we've seen them do from commercials, uh, Eli's podcast series for ESPN Plus has been really good. I assume this will be really good, too. But it'll be another option for those of you who care who the announcer is and what's going on. It's another option to try. And ESPN's paying a lot of money for the uh, rights to the NFL. So if they find a way to do something that attracts a few more, few more, few more viewers, great. And what were they going to put on in that time slot anyway? I guess that's part of the magic <clears throat> with them only doing 10 games. And maybe it's not the Mannings. Maybe some of that is ESPN saying, hey, we're going to have the NBA on these nights or whatever, and we need a spot for them. Maybe that's part of the deal. Um, but, you know, it's something different, and it's a little football, uh, a little nugget of news from pro football. So uh, take it and run with it, right? Exactly. Um, the countdown is on. Uh we are not that far from football now. Uh, PK was talking to me yesterday, making his plans for going to Pac-12 Media Day. So that's coming up next week. And so is the NBA draft. So it is it is on. Things are picking up speed here. Summer is very short this year from the sports radio perspective. And uh, and there'll be plenty going on as, uh, as we go forward here. And, of course, what's going to happen is the Jazz are going to hit the draft, and then free agency is going to come up right after that. It's just a couple weeks now to free agency. And we got a question up on Facebook, and uh, you can hit this on Facebook. You can tweet at me at David DJ James or Facebook DJ and PK. Should the Jazz run it back this year or just tweak the roster? Um, or do you just want to see wholesale changes? What do you want? Um, I think a lot of people are in favor of adding depth. The people who are saying run it back, just tweak the roster a little bit, are saying use the veterans exception, <clears throat> see if you can bring in a little help, help. Um, you know, maybe a backup center. Maybe you can uh, get a wing player, uh, a veteran with a little experience, and see if that that can help bolster this team a little bit. Uh, there are other people who think, you know, move on from the 30-somethings. I think the Jazz are most likely to run it back. Uh, who's available really matters, and do they like your guys really matters. And Conley's a free agent and what he wants to do. I do think – that the odds of the Jazz making major moves go up if Conley decides to go somewhere else. I think then the Jazz are going to look at moves because there's no way to just replace Conley like for like. You know, At that point, a bigger move seems to be the only way to get better. You're not just going to find somebody on a veteran exception to plug in and exceed Mike Conley's production. So I think this debate is fun in the abstract, but I think the Jazz, to a degree, are going to have it dictated to them. You know, if... If you, you can go hard at Conley, and I think they will, and I think they should. I would if I were them, and and hope you get him back. But if for whatever reason he decides to go somewhere else, somebody else has more money, somebody else has a better shot at a championship, his family wants to be in a specific part of the country, I don't whatever it is, somebody's got a relationship with him, recruits him, whatever it is, if he decides to run, then I think the Jazz are going to have to make a major move in this this debate just comes to a screeching halt. Uh, but it's one we'll have later in the show. And a lot of you are responding, so hit those responses on uh, Facebook and on Twitter, David DJ James on Facebook at DJ and PK. Coming up next, Bob Casper putting a wrap on the Open Championship. Stay with us. 
This UNA Golf Open Championship, Open Championship Update with Bob Casper is brought to you by Mountainland Supply, Zions Bank, Black Desert Resort, and get some guns and ammo. Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 9, right here on the Zone Sports Network with his tag team partner, Brian Taylor. Bob joins us right now to put a wrap on the Open Championship. And, Bob, congratulations are in order. You are the, what are you, the, the Open Open Championship winner? How do, how do I phrase this so it sounds like you won the Claret Jug, even though you just won the picks? Well, there's three. Um, we each pick three, so I'm the Open Championship parlay winner. Yeah, that's it. That's, like it. that's yeah, that's that's, that's the way to phrase that's it. Good. I knew you could do it, Bob. Yeah. Good work. Uh, we finished in the order we drafted. PK picked third. He was at 11 under. I picked second. I was at 18 under. And you, powered not by the champion, but by second and third place finishers, Jordan Spieth and John Rahm, got to 27 under. So there you go. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and Xander Shoffley shot 500 in the final round when he was over par starting the final round. So uh, he finished at three under. So, yeah, it worked out pretty good. I stopped doing the math. I figured if Louie didn't hold on, I wasn't catching you. So I, I stopped worrying about yeah. the math. I literally just did the math a few minutes ago to make sure I had it right. But I knew you were I knew you were way out there over the horizon. So I guess the question for all of us, because I know we all considered Morikawa as a major champion, you got to at least think about him. The odds on him were decent. Uh, for my part, I just thought, well, he's going over there for the first time. And, the, you know, you just don't win when you go over there the first time. But it wasn't that bizarre or that out of the park. It wasn't the gale force winds and sideways rain and all that stuff. And he putted like a champ. So I yeah, overlooked him. Why did you overlook him? Well, um, I think a lot of the same reasons. Uh, you know, I I probably didn't give him um, the credence to uh, to win another major championship so quickly within two years now. Uh, he's won five times with two major championships. But, uh, you know, the thing about Morikawa is he is a – Really, really good ball striker. He hits the ball well off the tee and off and out of the fairway. And uh, his whole bugaboo is putting. So with um, maybe the speed of the greens being a little bit slower, um, it, it allowed him to be a little bit more aggressive with putting and not have to uh, make as many field putts. And um, and because of that, you know, possi- possibly he. Um, he was able to win because of the putting, but the putting is the big thing for him and whether he wins. Um, and when he does putt well, he's right in contention every time. So I heard that he had eight one putts and he was ranked 124th or something like that. And he yeah. fe- felt like that you know, in t- within 10 feet, it was going down. What was the difference? Well, I, th- I think that's, you know, the huge thing is p- putting is about, um, it's more of the the mental part of the game, um, putting, and and once you get on a roll, and once you start feeling really really good with the putter, um, then you then you it, it almost like you can fill it up. It's it's like, you know, it's like a basketball player. Once they start start making three pointers, you know, they just they want the ball because they they know they're going to make it every time. So that's that's the way it is with putting. And uh, Morikawa, it was interesting. He was using a normal two-handed grip uh, on his putter for his long putts, but then for his shorter putts, he was using a claw grip, which is which is a palm facing down on the lower hand, and, uh, and, and he was able to make that work extremely well for him over the weekend. 
So he's got a couple early now, and we've seen this before with Spieth. We've seen it before with McElroy. Uh-huh. To a certain degree, we've seen it with Kepka, but they all seem to hit the just when they start piling them up. And you think, well, they're going to do it. They're going to go on a roll here. They all seem to hit the wall and go two, three, four years without winning. In the case of Rory, it's been seven years now since he won his fourth. And if he finishes with four, that's still a great career. But it just seems like he could be headed for that seven, eight, nine territory, if not more. And it's seven years it hasn't happened. Is Morikawa going to be different? Why do these guys win early and then not win more? What's going on? Well, I think today's golfer wins a lot more earlier um, when they come out, whether it's they're coming from the web.com tour or whether it's coming, you know, they're coming straight out of, out of college and, um, and are able to get their card by playing in getting sponsors exemptions and playing in a lot of events. You know, we saw three guys come out at the same time, Colin Morikawa um, and uh, Victor Hovland. And um, I'm trying to think of the other one. They all three came out at the same time in, in college, and Hovland was the one that everybody thought was going to be the great player. All three of them won in their first year, and Morikawa has kind of outdistanced uh, the other two guys. So, um, it, you know, it just it, – it, with golf, you can't make predictions. Um, you want to you wanna try to predict somebody's future and what their potential is going to be in the future. Um, and golf is an individual sport, and you just have to keep watching and see how things unfold with their careers. And um, and this, but this kid's going to be around for a long time. Uh, Jack Nicholas made some comments on um, on Facebook and and that kind of thing after Colin Morikawa won, and he said we're going to be watching this kid for a long time, and we're going to be watching him win lots of golf tournaments. I, I just enjoyed watching him play down the stretch. I enjoyed watching how he handled adversity down the stretch and, um, and, and was able to, to play, you know, shoot one under par on that back nine to hold off Jordan Spieth. So you speak of Spieth, and we know his track record of he took us by storm a few years back and then he slumped. Now it seems like he's working his way back. He's still young enough that were, that it's not a surprising story. We would expect it actually. So with the 2021 majors being done now, if we're sitting here a year from now and I tell you Jordan Spieth has won a major, are you surprised? I'm not. I'm not surprised at all. Um, Jordan Spieth um, has, has worked extremely hard, and he's been vocal about the hard work he's put in um, with his slump, with, uh, with where his game has been at the long game, uh, and also his putting. He still feels he's got a lot of work left with his putting, and it needs to continue to get better. But we were seeing flashes of, of the Jordan speed that we saw during 2015 when he took the world by storm and won five times and um, won two majors and had a chance uh, to be uh, to be a winner of the Grand Slam all in in one single year. So. Um, you know, he, he yesterday gets off to a bad start, turns it around with an eagle on seven, and then shoots. Um, you know, makes makes four birdies coming in, and has a chance to. You know, he gets in with within one shot of Colin Morikawa, and has a chance to. You know, if Morikawa slips up, a chance to get to have an opportunity to win, but Morikawa never did. But Jordan Spieth played extremely well, and it was fun to watch him. 
So if I told you Rory McIlroy won a major in the next year after a seven-year drought, would you be surprised? I would right now. Um, Rory McIlroy came out and said that if you um, – he's a consummate even par player right now. Um, he's a guy that um, <clears throat> can shoot even par, um, and, but he can't take it real, real deep. Uh, and, and he made those comments himself. He's going through swing changes right now. Normally when those swing changes – um, when you're working on things like that, you're still playing. Um, it takes, it could take a year, year and a half to two years for those things to really start to settle in to where you start reaping the benefits from it. Um, it did with Tiger Woods, as many swing changes he went through. Um, and I think that's going to be where Rory's at for the next little bit. He did win earlier this year um, at, at Wells Fargo. Um, but as far as the majors are concerned, he gets a little frustrated with himself for um, his lack of ability to get it done. And I think Kepka, who stops uh, concentrating on DeChambeau and ripping him, I think he's going to get it done next year too. How about you? Well, I think, you know, if, if you were to ask me about Kepka, I would say way Kepka more than, um, than Rory. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, n- nice round yesterday, five under par and uh, gets himself back up tied for six. Um, he really kind of uh, unfortunately let, let uh, you know, a, a good opportunity slip away with, uh, with a couple of, couple of rounds that were kind of mediocre. But Brooks Kepka loves major championships. He will, in, in my opinion, he will be around in major championships for a long, long time. So you believe in Kepka more than Spieth right now? Um. No, I don't. I think I think Spieth is on the rise, and Spieth, Spieth has the game to hold off a guy like Brooks Kepka. Um, John Rahm has has the the game to hold off a guy like Brooks Kepka. Those those three guys, Morikawa. Um, it's it's going to be fun because there's going to be a lot of guys in the mix in the majors next year in 2022, and uh, and you're gonna it, you could see every one of those guys win a major next year. So this is uh, the first time that it's, it was supposed to be last year, but we know COVID interrupted everything, that we had the, the right. majors in April, May, June, and July. So we're done. I'm kind of sad that it's done. What do you think yes. of it? Um, you know, everything was moved over, moved forward uh, a few years back because of the Olympics. Now we've got the Olympics coming up here at the end of the month, and then we've got the Ryder Cup. So I think as far as, um, golf being done. We've also got um, the playoffs, and we've also got the Tour Championship. Um, so there's still some great, exciting events coming up. But you know, the the cherry on on the on the top is going to be the Ryder Cup coming up at Whistling Straits here um, in the the latter part of September. And I'm I'm really excited for that one uh, to see the U.S. team see if they can get back the cup. Are you really excited for that one because you're going to Whistling Straits by any chance? Well, I haven't heard back from the from the PGA of America yet, but I'm sure that we'll be there, yes. So the U.S. is only winning the Ryder Cup uh, once a decade lately. What has changed? Is it, is it, um, is it, a, is it not a fair fight because there's golf being played in so many countries? Well, they, once they included Europe, it brought more players into the mix. Mm-hmm. And, there's, there's, and, and those European players have come over to – the United States to play for the most part. Um, and so 
they're playing on a weekly basis with the best players in the world and have elevated their games. And so I think because of that, um, it's, it's leveled out the playing field and, um, and they kind of look at the Ryder cup as a fifth major as far as each individual player is concerned. So I think uh, the U S team really needs to uh, really needs to step it up or start stepping it up and, um, and being ready to play when it comes around to the Ryder cup. And we've got, um, we've got a good list, a great list of players so far on the Ryder cup this year. Um, there are six players that captain Steve Stricker um, get, gets as, as automatic. Um, and then he gets six captains, captains picks. And um, I wouldn't doubt if one of, one of those will include Tony Finau. Plus there'll be a, a bunch of others that are great players that uh, will have an opportunity to play this year on the Ryder Cup. Tony's played extremely well in the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Uh, he's played really, really well in major championships and uh, and had a bunch of opportunities to win this year, but hasn't got it done. Um, but I expect him to be on the team. So I was up at Wasatch over the weekend, and I want to get your thought if you think it's real. And they said, next up, on the mountain course is the shank twosome. I have to believe that was made up, don't you? Um, I don't know. Could have been somebody with the last name Shank. And they're playing <laughs> golf. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. I'm with I'm with PK. Know. Made up. Yeah. <laughs> made up. Yeah. That's I, yeah. I I have college friends and they would always leave uh celebrity names whenever they did table reservations people just play that game with names oh yeah but they always they didn't leave the actor's name they left the characters names you know so so famous characters yeah (laughs) yeah the shank twosome yeah it could have been are you sure it was shank and not shank well s-h-e-n-k no he said shank i heard it oh okay because he said shank Shank. on deck and then shank on the (laughs) t I guess that's better than shank off the tee. Hey, oh, yeah, that's true. And 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 that wasn't your group, was it? No, oh no, no, no. That's 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 the woods twosome. Oh, okay, gotcha. (laughs) Along with the Eldrick single. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, Bob, as always, we appreciate it. Congrats on the win. Brian, by the way, thinks we should change the draft. We can talk about with that with the Masters next spring. But Really? He, well, okay. he didn't mind you getting the first pick, but he mind you getting the first pick in every round. You know, a lot of fantasy football mm. drafts, they do the snake thing. So PK drafting third would then draft fourth. Right. 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 So mm-hmm. because because PK is at a disadvantage here as some of the big names disappear off yeah, the board. Yeah, but I make up with the intellect. The brilliance, yes. Yeah. And that's why you wanted to go third yeah. so you could show off. I get that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like handicaps and golf. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> okay, but you've come in third the last two majors since you instituted your new scoring if system. You first, you might as well be last. <laughs> last. What's the difference? Especially when there's only three. <laughs> all right, DJ and PK, thank you, Bob. There's Bob Casper on the Open Championship. When we come back, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, what he is looking for in the, uh, in the NBA Finals, Game 6 tonight, and also one of, the, uh, one of the top prospects in this year's draft is in Fresno. What does Steve know about him? And Steve has an interesting story about getting the keys to the ward so a top, top prospect can get some shots up. Uh, stick around. Steve will tell you about it next. Stay with us. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland. Steve, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Well, Steve, I guess the first question is, how surprised are you that down 0-2, the Bucks find themselves up 3-2? Well, at the time, if you asked me that a week ago or two, I, I'd probably uh, be pretty fearful. But I think we've had enough conversations about this that uh, – and just kind of watching it unfold, yeah, it always surprises you when somebody gets down 2-0. But uh, when, when you look at the competitiveness of the Bucks and their depth and their strength and their ability to defend, they found ways. And it's kind of interesting. Through, through it all, we're 3-2. We're going back to Milwaukee to see if they can close it out or go back to Arizona. In my mind, there's really been two possessions that changed everything. One was an unbelievable block by Giannis late in the game that looked like an apparent dunk for Brayton and Eichmann, uh, and it would have been probably the Suns winning. And then the, the huge steal with Holiday on uh, uh, right right at the end of the game, where uh, it, it wasn't like he turned it over, Booker turned it over. He just he, he just stole it from him. And those two possessions really have dictated where this series is. I mean, you go back, those things don't happen. It's probably the Suns up. So that's how close these teams have been and how competitive the games have been, and it's, it's been fun to watch. Do you believe that shooting is contagious, and so if one guy gets hot, another guy gets hot, and so forth? Oh, yeah. A- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, shooting is obviously the, tech, the technical part of shooting and all the things that go with it, but it is no different than uh, making a putt on a golf course. I mean, once you see the ball go in, if for whatever reason, it relaxes you. Uh, even when you watch a teammate start shooting it. And shooting is so mental. And, I mean, you, yeah, you, you can't just have a broke shot and, and expect to make baskets. But these guys are pros, and they're all pretty good shooters. And the bigs aren't as, as good a shooters as the perimeter players. But but at the end of the day, uh, when you start seeing that ball go through and your teammates start seeing it go through, it, it impacts everybody. And so there is a lot to be said about the mental part of shooting uh, which is almost, if, if not, maybe more important than the physical part because I've seen guys that aren't great shooters technically but start making baskets, and that basket looks as big as the ocean. And I know as a player and even as a coach, I always tried to get guys in positions where they could see the ball go through early, maybe running a quick hit or doing something, even making a layup just early in the game where you watch it go through and mentally and emotionally you get confident that way. And uh, that's a huge part about being a consistent scorer and a shooter and winning big games when that basket looks really big. I'm sure you've been aware of this for a long time, but PK has a unique ability to be both annoying and entertaining at the very same moment. I, I like to think of lovable. <laughs> okay. I, uh, yeah, I've seen that side of him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So he always has this recency bias where whatever happened is just the greatest thing. And that was a great play by Jeru Holiday. But to say it's the greatest play in finals history – uh, defensive play. Defensive play in finals history. We can recount a few others. But I'm wondering how much you think that uh, P.J. Tucker gets overlooked, his ability to stay in front of Booker so that Booker – and Giannis was there looming for the block. So Booker's got to spin around and surprise, you know, there's Jeru Holiday. But I think the bigger point in all of that is Holiday can be there because a lot of teams are told, hey, you got to stay with the three-point shooter. But the Suns are – Man, when Booker gets on a roll, he is very ball dominant. 
Has that got to change? Have you got to share the ball a little better than that so the whole defense doesn't collapse in on you in the paint in that moment? Well, what happens is when you become real ball dominant like that, uh, you, you're, you're in a situation where every shot's contested. P.J. Tucker, regardless of who's guarding Booker, if Holiday's guarding Booker or P.J. Tucker's guarding Booker, for the most part, they're, they're going to contest every shot. And, and, and usually that, you go to the well that many times, at some point in time, late in game, sometimes it dries up. And because, because you do get it a little bit tighter, and, and mentally and emotionally, you know what's on the line, and you're trying to make a play. But I'd go back to P.J. Tucker, and this guy is like a junkyard dog. I mean, he defensively is there everywhere. And if anybody, I mean, the most inspirational player on both these teams is P.J. Tucker. And, and, and he does so many things, like you said, that never go on the stat sheets, that never people really talk about. But I would just love to see like 100 clips of this guy guarding people, uh, blocking out, diving on the floor for loose balls. You've got to have people like that in, 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 on, a, on a championship team. And he's willing to do that. And uh, it, it's, it's been the X factor for Milwaukee. I mean, at the end of the you can tell me, well, he went for, you know, uh, Booker goes for 40, and you're, you're going to say, you know what, though? He had to earn every one of those. I mean, it's kind of like everything's contested. There's a body on a body. And uh, the, if Tucker's not playing for them and they've got somebody else playing, I'm telling you right now that, that the Suns win this series. And I, and I know that he's not one of the superstars, but he is a glue guy. And uh, he, he just got so much energy, and the guys feed off of that. And I don't know who, I mean, you got to say Giannis is the leader of the team. He's positive and all those kinds of things. But the inspirational leader of this team is P.J. Tucker. And I don't know anything about their club or who talks in the huddles or in the locker room. But this guy, you want this guy on your team. Do you start thinking about putting on to come on the line intentionally? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you continue to do that. Uh, I mean, especially in late game situations. Uh I mean, he's made enough. I mean, you, you start looking at his statistics, and, and uh, you know, he started off 7 for 12, I think, and then he goes for 11 for 18. You know, there's always going to be 8 or 10 misses. But he seems a little more relaxed. He's, he's shooting it a little bit quicker. and But, he, you know, the other night he misses three in a row, which if, if they lose that game, you look back and, and Giannis is uh, – he's not getting the attention he got on that amazing dunk and all the other good things he did. So – Missed free throws at inopportune times can take a lot of that glitter and glow away from what was a great performance. He had 32 points, nine rebounds, but missing three free throws in a row, uh, he, he kind of got saved there by a big time steal, and then he got the dunk. And it, everybody forgets about the three free throws that put the Suns in a position to win the game. But that's that's basketball, and he's going to have to continue to get better at that. But I like it when he doesn't shoot. I mean, he doesn't need to shoot jump shots. He doesn't need to shoot threes. He can find a way to score 25 or 30 points without taking those shots because when he misses, it's a long rebound, and it's usually the Suns going the other way fast and quick and attacking the rim. So you think the Bucks now are going to do this, or you think saying that is as crazy as saying the Suns are going to do it when they're up 2-0? You're not over the finish line until you're over the finish line. Yeah, absolutely you're not over the finish line. And I, I'm, I'm thinking at home you know, that they can do this, but the Suns are going to be completely relaxed and they got their up, their back. You know, they're just – I just watch teams that are down, and we've seen it in this series. We've seen it in other series where uh, you can't get comfortable, you can't get complacent. 
I can't imagine the Bucks doing that. I, I, I would pick the Bucks just because it is at home and there's so much on the line. But if you tell me that the Suns, I mean, the, here's the deal: that if, if the Bucks don't win, then I, I gotta believe the Suns finish them off at home. And, and, and you know, you look at that last game that they played at the Suns. The Suns shot 55% from the field, 68% from the three-point line, and, and lost the game. <laughs> so it just came down to a possession or two. And uh, and that was the nights that Giannis had 32, Middleton 29, and Holiday 27. I don't know if they can replicate that again in Phoenix. So their best chance to win is tonight uh, because I think if it goes, if it goes seven, uh, the Suns are more likely to shoot the ball better in their building and the Bucks aren't. So, yeah, I, I, I picked the Bucks tonight, and uh, but uh, I, I would bet the house on the Suns if it goes seven. NBA draft's coming up next week, and most predictions and prognostications that I've seen have this Cunningham kid from Oklahoma State going number one. Two is looking like it's up for debate right now. You got three guys in the mix, Mobley out of SC. Then you got a couple of Jalens, uh, Suggs, who played at Gonzaga, whom I personally love, and that's probably because I've seen him play a number of times. And then you got a kid, Jalen Green, up your way. He grew up playing uh, basketball in Fresno. I think he moved there a second or third grade. I was wondering if you know anything about him. Yeah, I've, I've watched Jalen play uh, uh, as a junior. As a senior, obviously he didn't play, but as a junior I watched him play. He played at San Joaquin Memorial High School, which is a private school in, in, in the city. And uh, he, he, is, uh, he is so gifted. And he's one of those guys sometimes you watch and you're going, well, he's not really playing hard, you know. And, and But, I mean, everything that he does in terms of his understanding of the game, and you, and you know in a high school game how guys can make that game look ugly. Coaches can make it look ugly. They can throw three guys at him. They can do a variety of things because other players in a high school program can't score. So you're not going to judge him on how he played in high school because he always had two or three people guarding him. But he, he, had, he is a gifted shooter. He's good with the ball. You know, he's going to get bigger. and He's a little bit like Paul. He's really skinny and, 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 and you know, he doesn't carry a lot of weight, but really gifted. It, it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, so Jalen, you know, the, you have connections and friends, and, and Jalen's always playing somewhere looking for a place. Well, during COVID, every single uh, school, you know, AAU facility, uh, any gym in the, in the nobody you couldn't get into them. Everything was locked up, except for the alluvial building. <laughs> That's a church over in Fresno, in 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 middle of Fresno. And so I have a buddy that is uh, he he goes to that ward. He's got keys to the ward, and he's telling me, he says, "Yeah, we got Jalen in there working out, and, and the guys are playing." <laughs> I said, "You're in COVID." <laughs> and he, and he, and he said, I'm pretty sure that the, that the church folks don't, don't know anything about that either. We can talk about it now. But he spent a lot of time on that alluvial chapel building knocking shots down and playing with a few of his buddies. So it was kind of a – I guess Fresno can take a little bit of credit for his development during sure. COVID because that's where he went and shot. So kind of interesting stuff. But it's hard not to like the kid. He's a great kid. He's already given back in the community. Um, what What's the kid's name? He's not coming to me. What's the kid's name that played at Baylor that is a great defender? You remember him? Uh, when? Uh, that just played, like, he just played for Baylor when they won the national championship. His name escapes me, but he's another kid that uh, uh, I, I really like for the draft. 
and and I know the other guys are kind of well known. Cunningham, Mobley, you know, is yeah. we know them. But I, I can't. I'll have. I can't. I'm sorry. I bring it up, and then I can't remember his name. But uh, he, he's a guy I really looked at too. I mean, he was one of the best collegiate defenders I've ever seen for Baylor, and just as athletic as they can. And uh, we'll all think his name about his name. But he's another guy that I think that might be the best defender in the draft. And a guy, you know, he may not be a lottery, but he he's a guy I would be want to have on my team as well. He's a PJ Tucker, you know, uh, but he's probably the, you know, 5.0 version of him. He, he's just really athletic. And uh, I watched him the other night. They were doing some clips, and I apologize for not knowing who he is. Is it Jared? Are you athlete. talking? Are you talking Jared Butler? Yeah, that, that could be it. Yeah, Davion Mitchell. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. I just, I just know that I can't remember. Yeah, that's, that's I, think I think it's Davian Mitchell. Uh, he's small though; he's only six one. Uh, I'm looking at a yeah. mock draft right now, and they're looking at what him. Do they have him at? Uh, seven to the Warriors. Who knows? If the, obviously, we don't know if the Warriors are yeah. going to take that pick because right. there's been rumors of you know maybe uh, trading out to get veterans to try to win now with Curry and Thompson coming back next year and Draymond Green getting older. So I don't know that the Warriors will keep that pick, but nevertheless, the Warriors right now are slated to draft seventh, and Mitchell, yeah. uh, Mitchell's there was their guy uh, a little older at 22, but uh, right. and, they, and they list yeah, him. I mean, I, they list him as a lockdown defender at the college level. Yeah, he was, he was, and I, I just felt like uh, I, I hadn't seen anybody really defend at that level in a long time collegiately. And uh, but you, you're right. I mean, people are gonna. You're usually going to go for a guy that has a high ceiling offensively, can score it, and, and, and a guy that's a little bit bigger than that. Is Suggs about 6'4"? How big is Suggs? Yes, and I, I absolutely love him. I mean, yeah, I, 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 too. I think he's going to be the best Gonzaga player that Mark Few has had, knowing that he's had a bunch. And they, they list uh, Suggs at 6'5". And, and I think at only 20 years of age, and we do go with the upside and all that, I just think this kid's going to be a stud at the NBA level. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, and not just because he hit a big shot there. You watch him, man. He is a jet, and, and he's got so many different speeds, and he can create space to get a shot off. Yeah, he's a special kid, and he is young. And uh, I, I, I would absolutely agree with you. Fun to watch, and he'll, he'll, have, he'll, he'll make an impact really early in his NBA career, wherever he goes. And, uh, and you, you know, it would be interesting. You'd have two pretty small guards. Gold State, but boy, both of them would be pretty lethal. And uh, hey, what do you all hear with Damon Lillard? Uh, you have probably some inside stuff there. Do you, do you think that he's leaving and that he would actually go to a place like Golden State, or uh, I, you know, he's from Oakland? What, what do you hear up there on him? Well, here all you hear is Jazz fans who are Wildcat fans who want him to come back to Utah. Uh, yes, he has Utah ties and liked his time, time here. Obviously, he's got Oakland ties, but he makes a lot of money. Yeah, he does. So you got to give up a lot, and you know who does it really make sense for? I also think that I don't think Portland really wants to trade him, so I think he's going to have to make a big stink, and I don't know that he wants to make a big stink, at least not yet. Yeah. yeah. Now, in another year he might, or in two years he might, uh, you don't. I don't think you have to be. I think if James Harden taught us anything, it's you don't have to be as cl- and maybe Anthony Davis too. I'm probably leaving somebody else out. You don't have to be as close to the end of your contract as you used to be to make a big stink and go. But I, if you've got three or four years on your deal, it seems a little early, and he doesn't seem to want to be the villain. 
Some people don't right. seem to mind. I don't think he wants to be. But, you know, I don't know him personally, so, you know, that's just yeah. what I see from watching him from a distance. Yeah, the, you're right, though. The precedent's been set to, to leave a contract and do those things at times people never used to do it. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But this, this is going to be a good draft, and uh, it's kind of fun to kind of be up close. And for, I don't know Jalen personally. I mean, I, I've met him once, but I, I don't really know him. But it's fun to watch his development here, and uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with him down the road And because uh, he's, he's – He's gifted, got good size, and he's going to get much stronger. But he's a very, very special talent. So what do you think about this thing as far as going to, uh, not going to college, going in and getting that money that he got for that G League thing and playing there, uh, at least until I think they should change the rule and you should be able to go whenever you want to go, if you want to go out of high school, rather than that one-year deal that they've got going on as far as, as long as, assuming that they keep this rule for however long they keep it, about doing that as opposed to going to college? Well, I, I have a couple thoughts on this. One, I have – there are such – there's just such great experiences at the collegiate level and at every level, just in terms of your own maturity developing. And, and not, not, I'm not talking about basketball development. Just having friends and being away from home and kind of growing up in that setting. For special players, I think it's the best thing they've ever done. If you look at the NBA today – I mean, it's never been better at all levels uh, from the money they're making, from the, from the product that we watch, to how players take much better care of themselves and they are making better decisions. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you've got mentors in that league and you've got coaches who are mentors. You've got coaches who have played. You've got teammates. And everybody's pretty self-conscious of the fact that there was a time in this league where guys were going around doing some really dumb things and really uh, deterred from the league, and it was kind of a black eye for the league. And you don't see that right now. You, you mean, and I think the idea that you can go in and that a young man can be prepared uh, financially, that he can learn about what an agent does, and he can learn about a guy that's going to handle his finances, that he can learn about in terms of being a better person and uh, working on his mental approach to the game. You know, you, they have so much contact, and there's so many people that can influence them for good to prepare them for this experience that they're going to have the next 15 or 20 years. I, I love that. I think it's a really positive thing. I think it makes the product better. I think it gives a young man an opportunity to not blow $20 million away on things. They can talk to him about investing, they, you know, who's important in your life. Make sure that you're careful about people who you, you associate with because there are some folks out there that will take advantage of young people. And we saw that happen over the years with NBA players. So, I, I love that, uh, that, that, in, that entire organization of how you set that up. I love it. I, I, I think there's nothing but a win-win for, for the young men. Not to say that there isn't great situations that come from playing collegiately. I do believe they ought to be able to go immediately and jump into this. But uh, I, I like that year. It's just a year in training mentally, physically, emotionally, psychologically. Uh, it just better prepares them to have a positive experience. I mean, ultimately they got to play well, but there's a lot of there are a lot of guys in this league who were very talented that lost all their money, uh, made decisions, had the wrong agents, had the wrong guys handling their money, and, and as, they, as they look back, you know that those are sad stories, but it shouldn't be that way. So, I love the education that the NBA is providing for these young men, like Jalen Green, who, who would have been a great college player. 
you know, but he wouldn't have learned nearly as much as he has the last six or seven months. And he got a chance also to play at a pretty high level in the G League stuff and not, not like a college environment. I mean, it, it's not the same. And, and there's something special about that. But for these really special guys, uh, I, I think it's a win-win for everybody. So as you watch the U.S. men's Olympic team uh, prepare with a couple losses and then a couple wins, how much stock do you put in this? How confident are you they can win the gold medal? What do you think? You know, uh, I've, I've only watched a little bit of it. I actually watched the game where they played better and they beat Spain. I didn't see anything else. Uh, I, 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 you know, not ever, obviously this is a year where not all the big names are playing, but certainly enough. Uh, I, I don't know. There's enough doubt in my mind in these preseason games. I still got to believe that the United States wins this thing. Uh, I was a little surprised with the guys, I, and I don't know the the one player from San Antonio that I picked. I've never seen him play. He seems to be playing pretty well. Uh, you know, I just don't know if they have enough size and the girth that that they they play at in, in those international games. And if anything, just getting worn down. Now maybe they're good enough; they can score it enough. But if they get in real close games and where there's different rules at the rim for defenders. Uh, that's the only thing that scares me. Do they have enough size and girth to to go through and win four or five or six games and win a gold medal? They're certainly talented enough, and they can make shots, but they're going to have to defend. And you got a great guy. I mean, Pop is as good as they get. He's you know he's he's been there in that Olympic environment for a long time, so he knows what he's up against. So I'm not. I don't think it's a coaching issue. I just wonder if they've got enough bigs and guys inside to pound and. Because that, that game is really physical, much more much more physical than the NBA, and it's very physical at the rim. Steve, as always, thanks for the time. Thanks for coming on. We will talk to you again next week. We'll have an NBA champion by then. Yeah, we will. That'll be nice. All right, guys. Have a good week. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Looking ahead to game six next. Stay with us.